I'm very excited about this passage. I'm very passionate about people teaching the Word of God like the Word of God should be taught. And uh, we're going to be talking tonight in 1 John chapter 2, and it's talking specifically in these last few verses about being aware of false teachers. And so we're going to jump into that in just a few moments. And I think it's important that we talk about a few things, and then we talk about some tools we can put in our belt to help us in that area. And then the other question is, how do we help somebody that may be listening to false teacher or following a false teacher, and we are aware of that, but how do we help them? How do we help move them away from that and help get them into the Scripture? So we're going to talk about a few of those things. I'm excited about it. But before we do that, I want to remind you, this Friday night is the men's conference, and I want to invite you. We have just over 1,000 men signed up. I'm super excited about this. Um, Bartholomew Orr is going to be here. If you've never heard Bartholomew Orr preach, you do not want to miss him. He is a fireball, and he preaches usually about 30 minutes, and for about 31 of those 30 minutes, he is on fire, okay? So you don't want to miss him. And then if you've never heard Robbie Gallaty, I would encourage you as well. Robbie is just a man's man. He is a huge man. The first time I stood beside Robbie, I thought, good night. So he's about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and just massive, but has a heart of gold. He's a teddy bear that just loves the Lord and a great preacher. And so I want to invite you to be there. But what I want us to do is take a couple minutes and I want us to pray around the table for the men's conference. And right in the middle of your table, you should have some cards. And on that card, it's just an, an, basically I want you to take one and give it to somebody and invite them to the men's conference. At the gas pump, the guy tomorrow beside you at work, wherever you're going in the next couple of days, I want you to invite somebody to the men's conference. And if you invite them and they agree to come, you just send me an email or something, and, and we're going to cover that cost. So, so you don't need to worry about that. You tell them the cost is covered for them to come. So I want you to just take a few minutes around the table. We're going to pray for the men's conference, pray for these guys that are preaching, pray for the men that will be here. And I'm praying this Friday night that we're going to see some men saved. We're going to see some men come out of some type of shackles, whether that's addictions whether that's issues they're struggling through, whatever the case may be. And then the third one, I'm praying that God's going to raise up some young men, some boys that say, I don't know where God's taking me, but I want to make a promise that I'm going to follow God the rest of my life. So that's what I'm praying these three things over the next few days, and I want to ask you to join me in praying for that. So let's take a couple minutes around the table, pray for the men's conference, make sure you get one of those invite cards and invite some of the next couple days. Ready, set, go. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the time we have together. Thank you for these men that are here tonight, and thank you for the opportunity you give us to pray. And Lord, I thank you for the men's conference. I thank you for all of the men that have signed up. I thank you for the men that haven't signed up and that are going to be here. Lord, I thank you for these men that are going to be preaching the word. I thank you for bringing all the details together. And Lord, we don't want to just have another event where we have a lot of numbers here um, Lord, we want to have a time where we share the Word of God and we see the Holy Spirit move. So, Lord, I just ask you to go before us and move in that worship center on Friday night. God, I pray you'll speak through Robbie Gallaty and, and Bartholomew Orr and Pastor and anybody else that's going to be involved. God, I pray that the words that leave their mouths won't fall on deaf ears, but, Lord, you will speak directly to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray if anybody is in there that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that they'll give their lives to you. Lord, they'll taste and see that you are good. 
and they'll be saved. Lord, I pray for anybody in there that may be struggling with some type of addiction or some type of other struggle in their life, Lord, that they've been trying to shake for a long time, Lord, that you would give them freedom in Christ. And, Lord, that you would break that bond, that, that, those chains from them. And I pray you'll break those on Friday night. And then, Lord, I also pray, as I've been praying now for a long time, Lord, that you would continue to raise up young men that just fall in love with you and want to lead their families in a biblical way, want to grow up and work in whatever job you've called them to be and be godly men that would continue to lead the next generation to you. So, God, we're asking you to do something big here on Friday night. Lord, we're asking you to begin a revival, Lord, that it may start with the men on Friday night. So, Lord, we pray your blessings upon that. And, Lord, I also pray, Lord, I know Satan has his own plans. I pray that he will not be welcome anywhere on this campus. Lord, you would bind him. Lord, the name of Jesus would go out all across this place. And, Lord, everything that's said and done here on this campus on Friday night would give you honor and glory. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 17, and really a focus a lot in the first bit is on love and, and um, not being in love with the world, being in love with Christ. But we kind of make a change, a little bit of a shift here when we go to verse 18, and I want us just to read it together here, and I want to talk through a few points here. It says, children, it is the last hour And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared from this we know that it is the last hour. So it's interesting, he talks about Antichrist in the singular form here, but he also talks about Antichrists in the plural form. So who's exactly talking about? Well, the first time the Antichrist is mentioned here at the very beginning, he is talking about in the end days that there is going to be somebody that is going to rise up. He's going to be called the Antichrist. And if you've read Revelation, it gets kind of nasty. He's talking specifically about that person. But then it says, but there are many Antichrists. And what he's doing here is he is attributing this word to the false teachers because they are Antichrist. As a matter of fact, they were teaching, if we go on here, you're going to see some of the things they were teaching. It says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on you, and you all know, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So specifically, these antichrists were saying that Jesus was not indeed the Christ. This is the antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So he's not only denying Jesus' deity, but also denying a lot of things of God the Father. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. So we see that believers, Christians, get this eternal life with salvation. But the unbelievers, the Antichrist, not so. They're not getting eternal life. Now, I was thinking about this this past week, that they are going to get eternal life. It's just not going to be in a place called heaven. So really, it's not eternal life. They're getting eternal death. I want you to think about it for a minute. 
Somebody that does not spend an eternity with Jesus in heaven is going to spend an eternity in hell. And I've heard people, I have heard with my own ears a guy that I knew very well who labeled himself as a Satanist say, I cannot wait to die and spend eternity in hell. And I thought to myself, you have been fed so many lies. But the Bible says that the devil is the father of all lies. It says, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. We're going to be given eternal life if we have a relationship with Jesus. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So what are these antichrists trying to do? They're trying to deceive the believers. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now look at these last couple verses. Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. All right, there's a lot of verses here. There's a lot of information in here. There's some very specific characteristics of a false teacher that we read in this text. There's also some characteristics that we read about believers in this text. So those that are Christians, we see some characteristics. We're going to walk through those in just a moment. But because he's talking about antichrists, because he's talking about false teachers, how many of you know we have false teachers today in our culture? I mean, they're, and they're rampant. And a lot of them are making a ton of money, and a lot of them are on a lot of different TV stations, and they've got a lot of people following them, a lot. So I want us just to take a few moments around the table, and I want us to discuss this question. How can you know if someone is a false teacher? Someone asked me this question just a few weeks ago. How do, how do you know, just even before you start, how do you know if they're a false teacher or not? So I want you to discuss it around the table. If, you, if someone was to ask you, hey, I'm listening to so-and-so, how would you know if that person was following the Lord and teaching biblical doctrine or if they were a false teacher? Let's talk about it for a few minutes, and then we'll come back together. Ready, set, go. All right, guys, I hope that you maybe shared some things around the table, maybe something specifically that you read in this passage. Um, I am, uh, if you ask Tony Morris in the back, by the way, Tony runs our sound for us. Can we give Tony a hand back there? He's going to be mad at me. I'm going to hear about that later, I can promise you. But, but uh, Tony is a tech whiz, right? I mean, he knows everything about technology. But I am technologically challenged. And if you don't believe that, just ask Tony, okay? Earlier, I pushed a button there, and three of our tech guys came in. I said, I, so, so they've got it rigged so they know if I mess with it. Uh, it's a struggle for me, but I've learned just enough about the iPhone that when my wife needs help, I can be her hero, and so she'll say, I can't get this phone to do this, this, or this. And I say, oh, I can fix that for you. And what I do is I'll go in the other room, I'll Google how to do it, and then I'll fix it, and I'll come back in there, and I'm the hero. And so I, re I enjoy playing the role of the hero. Well, the other day she had an issue, and I said, I said, well, I'll fix it for you. And she said, no, I have this issue all the time. I want you to show me how to fix it. So I said, okay. I said, well, I'm going to Google it, and I'm going to show you how to do it. And she said, well, you just always do it for me. And it doesn't help me when you're not here. And I was reminded that oftentimes we do things for people instead of teaching them how to do it. And so it would be very easy to put up on the screen, here's a list of false teachers to stay away from. That's not my job. 
My job is not to stand in here and say, don't listen to this person, this person, and this person. Only listen to this person, this person, and this person. My job is to encourage you and I to get into God's word and see what God's word says and let that be the blueprint of everything we do in our lives. So all I want to do is call us back to the text, and I want us to look at some of the things that he specifically puts down in here, and we're going to look at what he says about false teachers and then true Christians, genuine Christians. What, what are some of the things that he says? The first thing he says when you're talking about a false teacher, he says they depart from the faithful. They depart from the faithful. Where does he say that? He says it right there at the beginning of the passage. He says, um, the Antichrists have appeared from this. We know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. So what were they doing? They were leaving the church and doing their own thing. Now, you say, well, it sounds like they were church planning. Church planning's okay. We need more churches, and that's true. Dear friend of mine, Chris Phillips, that used to be um, the guy that I reported to here at Bellevue, we've got a great relationship. He went and planted a church in Denver. I love Chris. I'm thankful for the work he's doing in Denver, and I believe he's doing God's will for his life. God called him to do that. But when you look at what Chris has done, he stayed connected to the church. Doctrinally, he stayed right in line with where we're at, and it's not because it's where we're at. It's because it's where the Bible's at, and he's not off doing his own thing. What they were doing was they were leaving the faithful believers believers, and they were teaching things that were not in line with Scripture. So that's the first thing. So you're watching for people, somebody that kind of goes off and just does their own thing, always want to be just a little leery. Okay, well, let's just step back and say, why Why have they separated themselves from the church? Why, why don't they want to be a part of the church? That's just a little bit of a red flag. Doesn't mean it's bad. God calls people to do different things, but that would just be one thing I would step back and say, okay, let's just evaluate why have they decided to step away from the church and why have they decided uh, to do their own thing. Now, the second thing I want us to see here is they had false teaching. Now, you say, well, that seems like evident. False teachers would be giving false teaching. It seems evident, but oftentimes people will follow anyways. The question is, why would somebody follow somebody that's teaching something that's false? Sometimes it's because they're a charismatic individual. People like to be around charismatic individuals. Sometimes it's just a personal connection. They have a personal connection to the person. Sometimes they're so convincing that what they're speaking is truth that people will follow it. Sometimes it is so close to the truth, it's scary, and there's just a little bit that's off, and over time, how, much, how many of you know if you just go off a quarter of an inch here, a mile down the road, you're off a long ways? And that's exactly what a lot of these guys were doing with their false teaching. It wasn't something that was just crazy different, but it was just enough that as you get further down the road, it's going to lead you so far away from Christ, it's not even going to be funny. The third thing was they denied who Jesus was. Notice what he says in verse, um, I think it's verse, well, let's, let's look at verse 22. It says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And so that's what they were teaching. They were teaching, hey, Jesus was a good man. Jesus actually was a great man, and many of his teachings were great, but... He was not the Christ. Let me just make a statement. If Jesus was not the Christ, then you and I have no business being here tonight. We have no business coming here on Sunday because we're worshiping somebody that is not God. Jesus is the Christ. The reason we know that is because Jesus went to the cross, 
He died a horrific death, and three days later, when Satan was throwing a party, Jesus rose from the dead. Not only does the Bible say that he rose from the dead, but there was over 500 people that saw Jesus. They saw him. And there are historians that are not believers that have said that Jesus was seen after his death. He died, and he rose again. Yet they were teaching that Jesus was not the Christ. He was not the Son of God. Another thing they were teaching is just deception. They were just deceiving. And it says that we should watch out for their deceptions. It says in verse 20, uh, let's see, 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Now, I want you to listen to what he says. They are trying to deceive you. It is not an accident. Their deception is not an accident. That's what they are trying to do. The Bible says the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's here for. And he will do whatever he has to to do that in each person's life. And sometimes that looks differently for every single person. If you don't believe me, I want you just to take a step back and you should Google how many religions there are in the world. It's astronomical. You see, if he can't get you here, he'll get you here. And if he can't get you here, he'll take you here. And if he can't get you there, there's a thing called now, a lot of the millennials and people uh, younger than that are nuns. Now, not nuns like Catholic nuns, okay? The nuns, N-O-N-E-S, means we are not affiliated with any type of religion. But in a sense, they become their own religion. And they're kind of proud of it. We're, we're nuns. We're our own people. And the devil's using all different types of ways to do what? To deceive. That's what he desires to do is to deceive. And so he talks about watching out for these false teachers and their deception. And the last thing is, I put down here, which I just spoke about, eternal death. I wrote that down earlier today. Because he says that believers are going to experience eternal life. Boy, it makes me sick to think about. I have friends and I have family members and I have neighbors in my neighborhood and I have people that I see all the time that are potentially going to die and they're going to spend an eternity separated from God forever and ever in a place called hell. That makes me sick. But this is his exact desire This is where the devil is, and he desires to bring as many people there as he can. And so the text is telling us to watch out for these people. Watch out for people that depart from the faithful. They don't want to be a part of the church. You should be leery of that. Listen for false teaching. We're going to talk about how to specifically listen for false teaching. Listen to anybody who is denying who Jesus actually is. Be listening for anybody that is trying to cause division and to use deception. Be listening to anybody that is pointing you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if somebody is preaching the gospel, but it's not the gospel, you need to stay away from them. Anybody that will get up and say, this is the gospel, and as you listen to it, you think, well, that's not the gospel I've heard. You need to stay away from them. You need to stay away from them. Why? Because the gospel doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is one way to the Father, and it is through the Son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There is nothing you and I can do to work our way up to heaven, because if we could, Jesus had no business coming and dying on the cross, if you and I could work our way to heaven. And if you step back and look at other religions, most, if not all other religions, teach that you have to do something to work your way to heaven. 
That's the beauty of the gospel, that you and I can do nothing. You and I don't deserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it, but he loved us enough to do so. So he's really encouraging to watch out for this group of people. Then he makes a little bit of a shift, and he kind of sprinkles it in there, talking about genuine believers or true Christians. And so I want to ask this question because I've asked this to a few different people, and I've really been encouraged by some of the things I've heard. So this is a very simple question, but I'd be very interested to see what you all say. What does a godly person look like? What does a godly person look like? And I know when I was a little boy, I said, well, somebody goes to church every week. Well, I know some people that go to church every week, and they're so far from the Lord, it's not funny. So I think it's a little bit more than that. Well, somebody that tithes, okay, well, great, they give some money. It's somebody that prays before their meals. Well, I think it's probably more than that. So what does that look like? Some of you have a person in your mind right now, maybe it was your grandmother, Maybe it was your Sunday school teacher growing up. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was somebody as you got out in the work, work, work field that you ran across and you learned what a godly person looks like, and that's who you're thinking about in your mind. But I want you to think about the qualities in their life, and around the table I want you to discuss what does a godly person look like. Ready, set, go. All right, guys, I don't know exactly what you talked about around the table but if I was to ask you to take your piece of paper and just write down the top three things that were mentioned at your table of what a godly person looks like, I want you to put it up as a mirror and just ask yourself this. Do you look like that person? I, I, I wrote down some things this past week, and I asked, are these things present in my life? Are these even things that are on my radar? Are these things that I desire? So I want you to just kind of tuck that in the back of your mind. I want you to think about those just a little bit. But he's talking about the difference between false teachers and true Christians or genuine believers. And he gives a few indications here of what a true believer would look like. Number one, he talks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know in our day and age, typically, when you hear the words anointed, you typically hear them when somebody's preaching. They get done preaching and say, man, he was anointed of God tonight. But I, I want you to know something. You, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, are anointed by God. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the same Holy Spirit that lives inside that guy that you said was anointed when he preached the word of God is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And the word that he's preaching from the platform is the same word that you get to read from every day if you choose to. And the word that he is giving to people is the same word that you and I have the ability to give to people on a daily basis. So if we have the same Holy Spirit inside of us, and we have the same word of God, we are capable of doing the same thing. That may be, not be on that platform. It may be in a one-on-one -on -one situation. But you are anointed by God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. When you look at the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts and you see Peter preach that message, I wish I could have been there. If I could pick one message to hear that was preached in the Bible, I would have to go to the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, I mean, you can't get away from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, specifically because Jesus preached it, okay? But I'll be honest with you, the second message I would really want to go here was not preached by Jesus, it's preached by Peter because I want to see the effect of the Holy Spirit falling and raining down on over 3,000 people.
I would have loved to have seen what that looked like. And that Holy Spirit that fell upon them is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and I if you have given your life to Jesus. So a genuine believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. A genuine believer also knows the truth. He talks about it here about knowing whether or not you're being deceived, looking for deception. In order to know if you're being deceived, you first have to know what is true. If you don't know what is true, you'll never know you're being deceived. So you've got to know the truth in order to see that. Another thing he says here is that they abide in Christ. They abide in Christ. I love this idea of abiding. G, uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers one time preached a message talking about abiding in Christ, and he was talking about walking in the Spirit. Now, I cannot do it justice. You would have to, I don't even know the title of the message. You'd have to, I'd have to keep on looking to find it. But I heard him preach it many years ago, and he talked about walking in the Spirit. And he said, you know, when you walk in Walmart, Walmart is all around you. It's under your feet, it's above your head, it's on every side of you. He said, when you walk in the Spirit, Jesus is all around you. The Holy Spirit fills inside of you. He said, you're walking in the Spirit. I love that idea, this whole idea of abide. I love all throughout Psalms where it talks about God being our refuge, about us being able to go to that quiet place, that secret place that's of the Lord. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do for us as we abide in Christ. The last thing he talks about is eternal life. Those that are antichrists are not going to spend an eternity with God in heaven. They're going to spend eternity in hell. But these believers are going to have eternal life. These are characteristics of false teachers and true Christians. Now, the question is, how do we know these things just based off listening to one message, or how would we know these things just by picking up a book and reading it about somebody? I had a friend of mine who had been recommended a book by a certain author, and he was telling me about this book. Now, the book came highly recommended from a family member, and that family member bought him this specific book. And he said, I'm so excited to get into it. These are some of the things that, that my, I was like his uncle or something was telling me about. And I said, do you mind if I look at the book? And so he handed me the book, and I saw the author's name, and immediately I, I already knew some things about the author that I was not going to share with him at this point. But I said, I do want to just, just recommend one thing before you get into this book. I said, this guy has a website, and on the website it talks about what he believes, about Jesus, about salvation, and about just doctrine in general, I said, I would highly encourage you to check this website out and just read the top three things on what he believes about Jesus, what he believes about the gospel, and what he believes about sin. And so my buddy said, okay, I'll do it. I texted him the website. He called me the next morning. He said, man, I threw the book away. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. He said, that guy's a lunatic. I said, well, I think he's a heretic, but lunatic sounds fine as well. He, I said, yeah. I said, he's so far away from the gospel of Christ. He's so far away from it. And listen, I, I'm going to tell you what an old preacher told me. When I was 13 years old, I walked an aisle at the little church we went to, and I told our pastor, Brother Kelly Smith, I said, Brother Kelly, I believe God's calling me into ministry. And he said, is there anything else you could do? Because if there is, do it. I said, no, I don't think so. I think this is it. He said, well, all right. Then jump in with everything you've got. And my dad was working part-time here in the missions department here at Bellevue while he was going to seminary. 
And we had met this older gentleman named Hugh Callens. Now, Brother Hugh was one of the godliest men I've ever met. Brother Hugh just preached all over the place. And so Brother Hugh called my dad. He said, I hear Derek surrendered to ministry. He said, he did. He said, I need you to bring him to my house tonight at 8 o'clock. I got something for him. And he said, okay. So we drove over there that night at 8 o'clock, and it was pitch black outside. And he took me through his house, out the back door to a little shed. That shed was probably 12 by 12. Before he opened the door, he handed me a 55-gallon black trash bag. You know the leaf bags that you get? Real thick, heavy one. And he said, Derek, he said, one of the best things you can do is read. He said, this shed is full of books, and I want you to put as many books as you can fit in that bag, and I want you to start your library, and I just want you to start reading. I just want you to read, read, read. He opened this door, and in the middle of this shed was a little bitty desk. It wasn't much bigger than this, but there were shelves all the way around this thing, and they were slapped full of books, thousands of books. Now, my dad, in seminary, not much money, got super excited and started helping me decide what books I needed. He's pulling out his syllabus for seminary, seeing if any of those are on the shelf. And so he's helping me decide some of these things. But I remember putting all these books in this bag. And I'm having to drag the bag out the door. I'm, I don't weigh anything. I'm dragging this big old bag out. And Brother Hugh stopped me right before I left the little shed. He put his hand on my shoulder, and he prayed over me. He just prayed that God would bless me, that God would teach me, that God would use me in the future And he said, amen. And then before he let go of my shoulder, he said, Derek, reading books is just like eating chicken. You got to chew up the meat, but you got to spit out the bones. He said, be very careful who you read. And just remember, unless it's the Bible, it's not going to be perfectly true. That was the only man that ever set me down at that time besides my father that said, be careful what you put in your mind. And guys, I submit to you, that one of the worst things we do is sit and take in from an entertainment standpoint information at a rapid rate all over the place. Whether it be movies, whether it be social media, whether it be other uh, platforms on our phones, whether it be thumbing through stuff on the computer or a tablet, we have at our fingertips as much information as we want. The question is, is it good for us? Is it right for us? So how do we look at those things? I want to give you six things that I wrote when I was 15 years old. This is what I, I, I always heard sermons that they all start with the same letter, so they all start with the same letter, okay? So this is how to handle truth, how to handle truth. And this is what I have done personally in my life for a long time now. Number one, you have to determine what truth is. You've got to determine what truth is. So where do we start? How do I know if this person is a false teacher? Do I start by listening to him? The answer is no. I start right here. The first thing I need to know is truth. Jesus said in Matthew 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's it. Jesus is the truth. So apart from Jesus, we don't know what truth is. He is truth. Just like it says he is love. We can understand what love is by knowing Jesus. And apart from Jesus, you and I can't even wrap our minds around love. I mean, think about it. We don't even use the word correctly. Today, some of you said, I love cheeseburgers. You stop and think about that for a moment. 
Some of you said, I love my truck. I love my dog. I mean, but you think about it. When you really look at the love of Christ, we have so watered down the word that we've lost the whole idea of what it really is. And so apart from Christ, we can't understand what truth is. So to determine the truth, we start with the foundation of Scripture. It's called a biblical worldview. And this is exactly what I believe the writer is trying to convey to them is, listen, he even says in here, you don't need a teacher to teach you. Because you have the word of God and you have the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. When he's talking to them specifically here, they don't even have the full thing. The full Bible's not even written. They don't even have it all. And he's telling them, you've got this and you've got the Holy Spirit. You don't need anything else. You've got everything you need. Because you have direct access to God the Father. So the first thing you do is, is you determine what truth is. And I submit to you that the only thing that is completely true is this right here. And anytime we start away from this, we are in deep, deep trouble. So I'll give you a good rule of thumb. If I flip on somebody, and within the first five minutes, or maybe ten, I don't hear some scripture, I'm out. I, I just, I'm not really that interested. If a guy says he's going to teach about the Word of God, and he doesn't talk about the Word of God, he's not teaching the Word of God. Now, he may teach some theory or some idea from the scripture, but I want to hear the scripture. Because this is what I believe. The power that Christians have comes from two places. It comes from the Holy Spirit, and it comes from the Word of God. So if you're not using the Word of God, you're relying completely on the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. But oftentimes, and I believe most of the time, he works directly through the Scripture. So the first thing we do is determine what truth is. We know as believers that it's the Bible. The second thing we do is we divide the truth. You say, what in the world do you mean by divide the truth? Well, I want to take you to 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, I'm going to read it to you from the NASB, but then tell you what it says in the King James. It says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But the King Jimmy says, rightly dividing the word of truth. I love what the King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Every single thing in here is directly from the Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I get bogged down in Numbers and Leviticus, and I think, Lord, I really feel you could have left it out. You know, I I know there's some stuff in there. There's some nuggets in there, and I enjoyed the, the history aspect of it. But sometimes I'm just like, okay, Lord, I get it. Like this morning I'm reading. It's all about details about the tabernacle. I got to the end of it, and I said, I literally wrote down, I said, Lord, I am thankful that you are in the details and that you care about the details of my life. That was my big takeaway this morning was that he cares about me. If he cares that much about the exact dimensions of everything in the tabernacle, I think he cares about the details of our lives. But sometimes I get in stuff, I'll say, Lord, I, but every single thing in here is for you and I, so we need to be reading it. We need to be studying it. We need to be dividing it. We need to understand why it's true. We need to hold Scripture up against itself. I hear some people say, well, you know what? There's so many errors in the Bible. And I say, wow, give me one. Well, I mean, there's just so, there's so many of them. I, I don't know if I, well, just pick one of them. Well, you know, they're all, they're all okay, well, I need one of them. You give me one of them. And let me go to work on it. And so I, I've done this so many times. So I had a guy that called up here. Uh, I was minister on call one day, called up here, and this was his whole argument. The Bible's full of errors, blah, blah, blah. Well, after like 15 minutes of me just saying, just give me one, give me one, I think he was Googling. I think that's what he's doing. He's trying to find one. So he finds this error in Scripture, and he says, you show me how this is not an error. 
and I'll give you some time, and then you call me back. So he gave me his number. I began looking, began praying, and then I went to my friend Mike Crouch. Now, anybody know Mike Crouch in here? Yeah, how many of you know when you don't know, first thing you do is pray, because James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give it to you generously and ungrudgingly. The second thing I do is I go to one of the godliest, wisest men I know, and I sit down with him, Joe Jernigan, Brother Joe. If you know, anybody know Brother Joe in here? Oh, Brother Joe. I've sat before Brother Joe and just listened to just the wisdom of God. There used to be two men here at the church. They were pastors here on staff, Daryl Clark and Skip Parvin. And when I was probably 22, 23 years old, no, I was probably 20, 21, and I was interning here in the gym, they would serve lunch over here on Wednesdays and Thursdays in the Fellowship Hall. And I'd go over there, and I would sit right between Daryl Clark and Skip Parvin. And both of them were right about retirement age. You say, why'd you sit between them? Because I never left a lunch not learning something about God. Never. I learned something about ministry. I learned something about the Lord. But this guy's just oozed wisdom. And so I, 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 went, to, I went to Mike. I said, Mike, here's what the guy's saying. Can you, can you point me in the right direction? And so we began to look. We began to realize that it's not an error I called the guy back, and we began to walk through it. But you know what that guy did? By just merely saying there was an error, he challenged me. I'm okay with that. Actually, that's one of the best things that could happen to me. Because oftentimes, if I can just be honest and transparent with you, I'll read the Word in the morning, and I skim by so much stuff that I just miss it. But when somebody challenges my faith, I go back to the Word, and I begin struggling through it and wrestling through it and digging into it. And this is exactly what we're to do. So, number one, you determine what the truth is. It's the word of God. Number two, you divide the truth. You study it. Number three, you have to digest the truth. And you say, where do you get that from? I love Psalm 1, verse 2. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. It's this whole idea of chewing the cud as a cow does chewing on it, meditating on it so that you will digest it. We need to keep the word of God before us. I've told you all this before, but my wife made it a goal when we got married that every house in our home was going to have scripture in it somewhere. Even our washing room, our, 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 where we have our uh, uh, washer and dryer. On the front of the little glass thing, she printed verses off and she stuck them to there about God washing our sins away. I love it. He said, well, well, I don't know about all that. That seems weird. No, I, I love it. And so she put this, this scripture all around. Well, I will never forget, one day my son comes out of the bathroom. He's probably about seven, okay? He goes in the bathroom. He comes out. He says, hey, you want to hear my new verse? I said, yeah, I do, bud. I said, what is it? He just quotes this verse. I said, that's awesome. I said, is that your verse in school? He said, nope. I said, is that your verse in uh, life group? He said, nope. I said, is that your verse on Wednesday nights? He said, nope. I said, well, what's that verse from? He said, that's my bathroom verse. I said, what do you mean your bathroom verse? And he said, well, every time I go stand up there and use the restroom, mama's got that verse behind the toilet, and I just read it every time I'm in there. You see, he keeps it in front of them. We keep it in front of us, and we meditate on it. And I can promise you this, what goes in will come out. What's down in the well, Brother Steve says what? comes up in the bucket. That's right. And what we do is we train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. You say, well, I, I didn't have the privilege of learning scripture at a child. Then start right now. Right now. Right now. You start reading the word. You start digging into the word. You start meditating on the word. You begin to digest the word, and then it is absolutely amazing. 
It is amazing that at the right time, the right place, with the right person, God will bring a verse back to your mind that you'll be able to share with somebody, and God will do a work through that verse that you memorized 10, 12, 20 years ago. Last week, it doesn't matter. God will use that scripture. So you begin to digest it. Now, what do we do when something's not true? With truth, we determine what truth is, we divide the truth, we digest the truth. What the writer is saying here is that there are teachers that have crept into the church and they are teaching things that is the opposite of who Christ is. They're not even leaning into the deity of Christ. How are people following? How has anybody left the church and followed these people? What well, ask the same question today. How do we have TV evangelists that are preaching the false gospel and literally tens of thousands, if not millions of people, will listen to them? Not only will they listen to them, but they will fund their ministries. Why? Why? Well, I think some of it is they haven't done these things. So what do we do if it's not true? The first thing you have to do is detect false teaching. I... My great uncle had a metal detector, and I used to love to watch him go out to the fairgrounds in Bentonville, Arkansas. Now, that was big time. If you got to go to the fairgrounds, that was big time, okay? And so usually a couple times a year, Uncle Bill would take me to the fairgrounds, and he would take his metal detector, and he'd go all over there, and we would find keys. We would find coins. He found a gun one time, like a gun from like 100 years ago. And all of these different things, we would dig up all around the fairgrounds, and I would be amazed at how that little machine could detect metal a few feet down underneath there that may have been there for years and years and years. And this is exactly what he calls us to do. He calls us to have a biblical worldview, very similar to a pair of glasses. I, I, it's, it's the same thing. I put these glasses on, and they help me see clearly. My wife, the other night, I got out of the shower, and I don't usually put my glasses on before I go to bed because I don't need them. I'm going to sleep. And so she said, I need you to come look at this. I think I've got a splinter. And I came over there, and I, I said, uh, she, she's holding it up, and I said, uh, well, I don't see a splinter in your hand. She said, that's my foot. I said, well, let, let, me, go, let me go get my glasses on. I came and got my glasses on. I said, oh, that is your foot. Okay. And she said, well, you, you would never be able to say I said, no, I need some clarity. And that's exactly what Scripture brings. It brings clarity. But when you are not looking through the lens of Scripture, you will be deceived easily. There were people leaving the church left and right because they weren't looking through the scripture, they were following men. I'm gonna say something here and I want you to hold on for a minute. I believe one of the worst things that can happen to you in your walk with the Lord is that you would always look to the same person to feed you spiritually so that your theology is built upon that person's theology. You see, I think one of the scariest places to be as a believer is that we don't have theology from God. We have somebody else's theology. Twice in the years that I heard Dr. Rogers preach, and I've heard him preach hundreds if not thousands of sermons. I listen to him almost every week. But twice I've heard him say in sermons, listen, don't take what I'm telling you for granted I want you to go home, I want you to pull out your Bible, and I want you to study it so that you know this is truth for yourself. And listen, I, I, I would have taken a bullet for Dr. Rogers. But even he said, listen, don't take my word for it, take God's word for it. And so we've got to go to the word of God, and I believe one of the issues we have in the church today 
is we have people that have theology built upon somebody else's theology, or they listen to three or four or five people, or there's three or four or five writers, and all of their theology is built upon what somebody else says instead of actually getting into the Word of God. If the place you like to go when you go to read the Word of God is not to the Bible, but it's to a commentary, I would encourage you to stop doing that. Now, I did not say don't use a commentary. But if that's where you're doing your time with the Lord, or I hear people say, well, I just use a devotional book. It gives a couple verses up top, and then it has this whole devotional on there. That's great, and I'm all for that. I, my, my, my dad reads my utmost for his highest every morning. About once a month, I'm going to get a text from him from something that he read in that book, that devotional book this morning. But my dad has never started his time with the Lord with the devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. I know by the time he gets to my utmost for his highest, he's read three and a half chapters in the Bible. He's always read a proverb, and then he's gotten to that devotional book. He has spent almost an hour reading the Word of God. And so how do you know if there's false teaching? You have to look at it through the lens of Scripture. How can you look at it through the lens of Scripture if you're not studying the Word? I did research today, and the research shows that eight, depending on what Research company you look at, the lowest number is 8%. The highest number is 11% of so-called evangelical Christians that read the Bible on a daily basis. The number was about 2% under that of people that have ever read through the Bible from cover to cover. So I want you to stop and think about it. Let's say on Sunday morning we have 5,000 people here. If that's true, 5,000 people, that means about 500 of those 5,000 are reading the Bible on a daily basis. The other 4,500, according to the research, say they're reading it once or twice a month, a month. Now, the separate research shows they only go to church just under 50% of the time. So I want you to let this sink in. 4,500 people are here on Sunday morning. They're not reading the Word of God on a daily basis. They're only hearing our pastor preach twice a month, so only 26 times in a year. They're not reading the Bible. And here's what else is fascinating. If you pair it with even more research that says we only remember about 25% of what we hear. So they're only hearing from the Word of God 26 times a year. They're only going to remember 25% of that, which means they're only going to remember about eight sermons that they hear in an entire year. And we wonder why. We have a biblically illiterate people. Men, it's not the job of Brother Steve to feed you. It's not the job of your life group leader to feed you. It's their job to come in and encourage you and affirm what God is doing in your life, but it is the Word of God's job to feed you. It is your job to get up and spend time in the Word so that you can look through a biblical worldview and be able to see when this guy leaves the church and he's preaching some heresy, you can immediately spot it. You've got to detect what that teaching is. And then you have to dissect that false teaching because what's going to happen is you're going to tell somebody, I, you know, I don't agree with that, with what they're saying there. I think that they're a false teacher. Now listen, you really want to rock the boat. Tell somebody that they like is a false teacher. You will lose a friendship really quick. Believe me, I've got the, the, the wounds to prove it. You tell somebody that they love. So a guy I grew up with, a guy that was a few years behind me in high school, a guy that graduated high school and followed to the same college I went to so that he could get a biblical degree like I did, a guy that he and I were just like that. We talked on the phone four or five times a week through his first five years in ministry. 
I was here. He was at a church up north. He leaves that church, and he tells me that he's going to this church of a very well-known preacher. He calls me one day. He says, listen, I think I'm going to take a job there. And I said, I just want you to listen to a sermon. And so I sent him a sermon that this guy had preached on who the person of Jesus Christ is. And I said, when you get done with that sermon, if you believe he's headed in the right direction, then you go work for him. But if you hear anything that's apart from what God's word says, I would encourage you to stay away. I have never spoken to him again. He's been on staff there 10 years. And I pray for him every single day, almost every single day, that the Lord would draw him to himself because he has been deceived. Well, see, we've got to kind of take it apart and be able to understand why is this false? I was given this book when I took a class in seminary. It's called Neighboring Faiths. And when you look in there, it's all about all different types of other belief systems, Islam, Judaism, Catholicism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, all of those different things. Um, and, and I've just began reading. Uh, you know, they say a lot of people are leaving the Christian faith, and they're falling into some of these things. They're following some of these. Why? And so I began to, to look at it, began to understand why somebody could get off into some of these other belief systems, and it's began to open the door for me to have conversations with people. Now, here's the deal. I would encourage you not to spend much time in here because you don't want to give the devil any ground to sway you one way or the other. I would encourage you before you ever pick this up and before I ever read this, I'm going to read this. I would say, Lord, I want to be grounded. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear anything that's apart from your word. So we dissect the false teasing and then dispose of it. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Now, I've got some things that I've learned that I'll share with people, but they're not things I ponder on. They're not things I sit around and listen to. They're things that I've got to get rid of and not keep. And then I go to people and I share with them, here's, here's what I believe. So here's the deal. You say, how do I know? How do I know if somebody is trying to, if somebody is a false teacher? How do I know if somebody's teaching me something away from Scripture? You're not going to know unless you spend time right here. This is it. This is everything that we need. And so what you do is you spend time in here. Now, I've read this illustration and this story many times that they take bank tellers and they only let them see the real money. They show them the real money. They let them handle the real money. They learn what the paper quality is. They understand the ink color. They understand all the markings on there and all of those things. And if they do that over and over and over and over and they only see the real thing, the first time they see counterfeit money, they know it immediately. I've, I've heard that story so many times in my life. But I just recently met a bank teller, and so I asked them, tell me about your training with only real money. They said, what do you mean? I said, well, I've always heard that you never see counterfeit money. You only see the real thing. And they said, well, no, that's not necessarily true. They bring a lot of different counterfeit monies in, and they teach us the exact little things to look for. He does a great job right here in 1 John chapter 2 for things to look for. What are those things that we're looking for? Have they isolated themselves away from the church? Have they left believers to do their own thing? Is there any type of deception in the things they're speaking of? Is there anything about Jesus that doesn't line up with the word of God? How are you going to know that? Only if you read the word. I would say to you, you listen to our pastor. He's a phenomenal preacher, and I love him. 
But it is not his job to teach you everything that's in here. It is your job. The whole idea is this. Be aware what you're putting in your mind. Be aware. Look out. Because the devil is very sharp. He's very wise. And he's coming after you with everything he's got. My dad's brother grew up in the church, proclaimed to repent of his sins and follow Christ, was baptized, years later married a woman of a different religion and left the Christian faith. He and I have had conversations throughout the years. And he's so far off base because he's let a little bit of deception for years and years and years and years and years take him way away. So guys, here's what I want to encourage you with. You say, who are we supposed to listen to? Who are we supposed to follow? You follow people that pick up this word and they rightly divide it. And the only way for you to know that is for you to be in this word, spending time in it, so that when something is false, you can see it. My wife was given a book right when we got married. This lady said, you need to read this book. It'll change your life. And my wife bought it home, and the first thing I did was threw it straight in the garbage. I said, I, I'll tell you right now, this person is a heretic. They're a heretic. See, one of my jobs as the pastor of my home is to protect my family. My first calling as a pastor is not at Bellevue. It's at my home. It's at 2691 Davies Plantation Road, Cordova, Tennessee, 38016. There are five people there dependent upon me leading them as the pastor of my home. First with my wife, and secondly with my four children. And I've had to drive a stake in the ground saying, over my dead body, am I going to let anybody come in and sway my family? I don't want to get 20 years down the road and see my children off doing something. And by the way, I can't control anything they do. But I can certainly do everything God's called me to do to help shape them in the right way. So I want you to think about your past. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home that taught you how to follow Christ. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home that taught you how to read Scripture. Maybe you didn't grow up in a home where you saw that lived out. But here's what I want to encourage you with. It is not too late. You were born in 1940 is what you told me. 1940. And I know he loves Jesus because we've talked about it. I know he reads his Bible because we've talked about it. But maybe you're in here and you're born in 1940 or 1960 or 1980, whenever. You see, I've never had that time. Guys, I cannot encourage you enough to pick up the Word of God and study it. Some of you sit out there and you say, I don't know what it actually means to study God's Word. I know what it means to read God's Word, but I don't know what it means to study God's Word. Here's what I want to do. I'm looking around the room at some men that I trust and respect and love. Looking right here, looking right here, I'm looking over here. I've got men that I'm looking at that I would trust to take my children and teach them how to study the Word of God. There's men in this room right now that could teach you how to study the Word of God. And I'm not going to call them out, but here's what I want you to do. If you don't know how to study the Word of God and you want someone to teach you how to do that, when you get an email from me tonight, I want you to respond to it and say, I need someone. That's all you got to say, I need someone. When you get an email from me tonight, you just respond back to it, I need someone. And I'm going to pair you up with somebody in this room. I've already looked around the room and seen about a, at least a dozen men 
that I would send my children to and trust them to teach them how to study God's Word. There is no greater thing you can do than to learn how to study the Word of God. I believe right here in 1 John chapter 2, he is pleading with the church to not let these people distract, to, to deceive them, to discourage them, to divide them. But how are we going to know if we don't know the Word of God? Jesus, we love you. I thank you for these men. I thank you for your word. I thank you in your word, Lord Jesus, you have everything we need. And Lord God, I pray right now for anybody in this room who doesn't know how to study your word. Lord, nobody's ever showed them how. Lord, for them not to be embarrassed about that, it's not their fault. Nobody's ever showed them. Lord, I pray that they'll respond to the email. I pray they'll call me. I pray they'll text me. I pray they'll email me. And I pray they'll allow us to come alongside them and teach them how to study your word. We can give them some tools to help how to, stu- to know how to study your word. And so God, Lord Jesus, right now I pray for any man in this room that's not spending time in your word on a daily basis, Lord, that you would call them to that, that you would call them to stand up and be the men of God you're calling them to be by waking up and spending time in your word. Lord, we talk about wanting to be men that walk in the spirit. We can't walk in the spirit if we're not first spending time in the word. And so, God, I pray for each one of these men, if they, don't have a, if they don't have a structure in their life for studying the Word, for reading the Word, for spending time in the Word, Lord, that you would convict them of that, and, Lord, that they would respond, and that we would get some men around them that would teach them how to do that. Lord, I thank you that you have written this beautiful love letter to us, and that every single thing we need is found in there. Lord, I pray that Satan will have no place of discouragement in these men's hearts. Lord, I pray if any of them are listening to somebody that is a false teacher, Lord, that you would show them that, not because someone else has said they're a false teacher, but because they have looked through the Word of God and they have found by looking through a biblical worldview that this is a false teacher. Lord, I pray you will protect Bellevue Baptist Church. I pray you'll protect Faith Baptist Church. I pray you'll protect all the churches in the city of Memphis from any type of false teacher like this. And if they are there, I pray you'll remove them. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for any church in this city, Lord, that may not be walking with you, may not be teaching your word. Lord, that you would begin a revival in one person's heart right there. And Lord, that we would see revival come to that church. Lord, I pray you'll turn Memphis upside down. And I pray, Lord, that you would even begin that this Friday night at our men's conference. Lord, as you call us to stand up and be the men of God that you're calling us to be, Lord, I believe with all my heart it begins by spending time in the word. And so, Lord, call us to be men of your word. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for these men. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.